was 1993. I was in the 12th grade. Some of you who are good at maths are now working things out. How old is this guy? Uh, it was the night before the prom. And uh, it didn't matter because there was an even bigger party planned. Uh, a group of friends and I, we headed into uh, Sydney City, uh, right to the harbour foreshore. Uh, we went to this place uh, where on the left-hand side you have Sydney Harbour Bridge, on the right-hand side you have Sydney Opera House, and all of the water is in front of you. It's amazing. There were giant TV screens set up, and uh, the, sh the crowd was shoulder to shoulder. There was, I think, 100,000 people, or maybe even more than that. Music was pumping, uh, the atmosphere was electric, as all of us waited for the biggest announcement of our lives. Uh, we waited, uh, we danced, there were live DJs, we yelled over the noise of the crowds at strangers we'd barely met. Uh, there were people holding up signs that said, Istanbul and Manchester. And then finally, the wait was over. At 4.17 a.m. in the morning, the president of the International Olympic Committee said the words, the winner is Sydney. Of course, this was the announcement that Sydney was going to host the 2000 Olympic Games. Um, the crowd erupted into this spontaneous roar of celebration. Um, there was something about that moment I will never forget. It was just pure exhilaration and triumph and jubilation and any of those uh, words you can think of. The cheers of 100,000 voices uh, went up. They all seemed to be cheering as one. It felt like we were all in it together. Uh, strangers hugged strangers. People kissed strangers. It was pure joy expressed and shared. And do you know, by the time the cheering stopped, the sun was coming up over um, just from behind the opera house. And it was almost 6 a.m. We'd been cheering for an hour and a half. We didn't stop. It was amazing. It was one of those moments that felt like just a minute had passed, but actually it was an hour and a half. Uh, I wonder if you've ever experienced a moment of jubilation like that, a moment of celebration and joy that still touches you years later. You can go back to it in your heart and remember. Uh, as humans, we love to celebrate. We love to celebrate, don't we? It's a universal impulse. All over the world right now, people are hanging decorations, they're preparing feasts, and they're selecting gifts that they know will spark joy in those that they love, uh, even the people you work with, if you like them enough to give them a gift. And uh, there's something about celebration that breaks the rhythm of the everyday. Um, celebrations give us something to look forward to, and they also create memories that we look back on. Um, celebrations are wonderful. It's almost like we were made to celebrate. And that's because celebration is built into the fabric of the universe that God has created. Uh, so as we open the Bible today, why don't we pray that God will show us what a life of celebration looks like. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, will you bring the spirit of celebration into our hearts today as we re uh, read the next part of the Christmas story. Uh, fill us with joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, all through December, we are looking at Christmas through the lens of Christmas carols um, with their timeless words and their tunes that transport us back to childhood memories. Christmas carols are part of our Christmas ritual. They're part of our celebration. Uh, but Christmas carols also capture deep truths about Jesus and about the Christian faith. And that's what I want to dig into as we look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, by the way, is this anybody's favorite Christmas carol? Is there anybody who says this is their favorite? I got one, one, one tentative hand. All right. I, there still must be a lot more favorite carols out there. We don't have enough weeks to sing them all. Maybe we should keep going in January. 
Um, later on in the sermon, I'm going to tell you how I think we could make this my number one carol ever. It's number two right now, but maybe we could make it number one. It would involve a project for next Christmas. I'm going to tell you about it later. Um, some trivia about the hymn, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, was written in 1739 by Charles Wesley. Uh, he was a prolific hymn writer. He wrote 6,000 hymns. Uh, most of them are lost. We don't have them anymore. Uh, he was part of uh, a leader in a great movement called the Great Awakening, um, or the Revival Movement, in the 1700s that swept across Britain and North America. Um, Hark the Herald Angels didn't always sound like this. It was originally written to a very slow and austere tune. That's what, uh, that's what he wanted. Um, but this tune was written about 100 years later um, afterwards and added um, by Mendelssohn. And uh, interestingly enough, the first line wasn't always the same either. Um, and you're going to have to listen carefully. It was originally, hark how all the welkin rings. Now, I know I've got a couple of Swedish, um, a couple of Swedes here. I don't think I've got any Dutch speakers here today or the Germans. This word welkin um, is like the word for clouds, Vulcan. Um, and so hark how all of the clouds or all of the heavens ring with angelic celebration. That's what the song was originally about. Angels filled the skies the moment that Jesus was born and the heavens rang out with joyful celebration. Um, so what were the angels celebrating? Uh, well, first the angels were celebrating the birth of the newborn king. Um, the angels are called heralds in our carol. A herald is a, an official messenger, somebody who brings news from the king. Um, and in our movies, uh, they're often pictured with you know, little trumpets and they announce official news, they come. Um, in the song a bit later on, there's the idea of a triumph, join the triumph of the skies. Um, that was how kings announced their greatness. The birth of a king or winning a war, it was announced by heralds in a great moment of triumph. And these angels, they were announcing news on behalf of God that a new king had been born. Uh, but not just any king. Uh, Israel had had lots of kings before, but none of their births were attended by an angel, uh, sorry, a sky full of angels. Um, as Martha just read, this is how the gospel writer from Luke records it. Um, verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the people, um, the, the shepherds were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Um, verse 2 of the carol puts it a bit more po uh, poetically. It says, Christ by heaven, a highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Uh, Christ is adored. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. Jesus is adored. You know when you go to a concert and uh, the performance is incredible and the crowd cheers and nobody wants to stop cheering and the, the clapping and the yelling just continues. Well, we pour out that kind of appreciation because we adore the performer. Uh, we pour out our praise on them because they're worthy of it. And all of heaven adores Jesus. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in chapter 5, there's this image of heaven. And in heaven, there's a multitude of angels. And there's thousands of them. And then it says there's 10,000 times 10,000 uh, angels. And they surround the throne of Jesus. 
And in a loud voice they're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. This is like the heavenly equivalent of an encore. Are the angels singing to Jesus, the champion? Because Christ is the star of the universe. He is the everlasting Lord. He is the king who will rule forever. He's not like an earthly king who is born of earthly parents who lives and dies and then is replaced by another one. He's not even like an earthly child in the sense that he was born with a natural father and mother. Verse 2 of the carol reminds us that Jesus is the offspring of the virgin's womb, um, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. We get to see the Godhead when we look at Jesus, veiled in flesh. God is in flesh. Hail the incarnate deity. So Jesus is born to the Virgin Mary. He's got no human father. He's the son of God himself. He is God made flesh. He is deity incarnate. Jesus, our Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When we see Jesus, we see God in human form. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 9, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Now, think back to the Old Testament. Do you remember what happened every time people saw God? Every time God showed up in his presence and in his glory? Do you remember what happened? Think about Moses when God said, I'm going to make all of my glory pass in front of you. And so Moses, he had to be hidden in a cleft of a rock. As God said, you cannot see my face and live because nobody can see me and live. God is so glorious and and amazing and wonderful but also if we were to look upon him we would die and when Isaiah found himself standing before the throne of God in in Isaiah chapter 6 he sees and he realizes his sinfulness and he falls on his feet terrified falls on his face whenever God shows up he's accompanied by his glory this kind of shining brightness the presence of God which is manifested it's the representation of God's holiness and God's power, and it's displayed in a way that we can see it and feel it. And if you saw it yourself, I'm sure you also would be terrified. When the Israelites were escaping from Egypt, and the Egyptian chariots were following after them and chasing them, trying to kill them, God's glory appeared by this pillar of cloud by daytime and a pillar of fire at nighttime, and his glory separated the people from certain death. And then on Mount Sinai, God's glory appeared again on the mountaintop when God was giving his law to the people. It rumbled with thunder and fire. It was terrifying. God's glorious presence was with his people when he was with them in the uh, tent of meeting. And then when he had the temple, he reminded his people that he is always there. He's always with his people. And then on that dark Christmas night, God's glory appeared once more. In the, in the skies, when the first angel appeared to the shepherds, we read, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, just like everyone else in history who saw God's glory. But do you know what? The glory of God is not meant to invoke fear in us. It's not meant to make us afraid. It's meant to be good news of great joy. This glorious appearance of God's own son is good news for all people. As the angel says in Luke 2 verse 10, because he's a saviour, And he's born for us. A saviour has been born for you. And that brings us to the second reason for the celebration of the angels at Christmas. Um, 
I'm sure in your mind you can picture that iconic photograph that marked the end of World War II. At Times Square, New York, uh, there's a young sailor wearing his uh, blue sailor's uniform. He's got the white round hat on, and there's a nurse decked out in her uh, full uniform. It's all white, and he's dipping her, and they're kissing. You know the photograph I'm talking about, don't you? Um, in Australia, we have one of a man dancing. Uh, he's, he's like Fred Astaire, is dancing in the streets. Everybody has their iconic picture. And... Uh, Everybody around them is smiling because the end of six years of war is something to celebrate, isn't it? And celebrate they did something like two million Americans, uh, two million people packed the streets of New York and they celebrated for two days without stopping back in 1945. Peace on earth is something that we all desire, isn't it? Sadly, the war to end all wars did not end all wars. Uh, I read somewhere that since 1776, America has only experienced 15 years without war. Maybe that's true, maybe it's a little exaggerated, but it's not too far off the truth. And many other countries around the world are currently experiencing conflict, are experiencing the residual effects of war. We don't just need the peace that comes from the end of war. Just last week, the news was filled with reports of yet another deadly school shooting. Our society struggles with violence every day. And each one of us experiences the pain of conflict in our personal relationships. Uh, we long for peace. Or we need peace. We want peace. And the promise of the Christmas story is that Jesus brings the peace that we so desperately desire. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, it says. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. I mentioned before that Hark the Herald Angels could be my favorite song. Uh, these lines are the reason why it could be my favorite. Partly, I think, that's just brilliant writing. Captures this. Um, for me, it's the inexpressible joy of peace. Uh, that is the promise that comes in Jesus. Uh, but in terms of musicality, there's something else that would make it my favorite. Um, King's College, Cambridge, uh, in the UK, uh, their choir sings this every year as part of their traditional Christmas service. And they have a high part above these lines. So the rest of the song sounds the same, but there's, it's what's called a descant. And there's this incredible soaring um, melody and, and harmony above. Uh, you need to look it up on YouTube. King's College, Cambridge, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Descant. Um, it's incredible. So next year, we're going to practice this every week. So that just on Christmas, we can get it right. Is that okay? I see some skeptical faces. Back to my train of thought, huh? So the promise of the Christmas story is that Jesus brings peace. He brings the peace that we so desperately desire because the heaven-born Prince of Peace shines light into the world. He shines the light of righteousness into a dark world. See, God is good and loving, and, and that means he can't stand by and watch injustice happen and to leave it unpunished. God is good. And so he sends his own son into our world to bring justice, to bring righteousness to mend the brokenness in our world and to mend what is broken about us. And that last line, arisen with healing in his wings. Uh, well, it comes from the, the last book of the Bible, a uh, last book of the Old Testament, actually, where God promises that a day of judgment is coming. A date has been set when every evildoer will have justice executed upon them. They'll pay the price. But for those who revere God's name, Malachi 4.2 says, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. So the birth of Jesus is the promise of healing and of peace. 
And I know for some of us, healing is what we need this Christmas. Uh, Christmas can be very hard. The holidays can be very hard. I've included a little quote from C.S. Lewis at the bottom of the handout there. It's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, In the story, the land of Narnia has been cursed by the White Witch. And so Mr. Tumnus, uh, a fawn, says this to one of the visitors to Narnia. He says, it is winter in Narnia, said Mr. Tumnus, and has been for ever so long. Always winter, but never Christmas. Uh, Sometimes life can feel like a never-ending winter, with no Christmas on the horizon. Nothing to look forward to but darkness. If that's you this year... I want you to reach out to us and, and talk. But Jesus' birth, you see, it changes that forever. Light and life he brings, risen with healing in his wings. At the heart of the Christian message is the, the message of hope. It's a message of light. It's a message of restoration and healing. As one writer put it, he said this, he said, Cursed as we are, and cursed as this life so often seems, it will not always be winter. Christmas has come and is coming, and I'm longing for its blessings to flow as far as the curse is found. You see, Jesus came to undo the curse of sin, to see God and sinners reconciled. A bringing peace on earth begins with bringing peace between God and ourselves. And now that, that's the Easter story with the cross and, and the empty tomb, and that story, it all begins with Jesus' birth, and it ends with new birth for us. And that brings me to the last big idea, which is this, the other heavenly celebration. Hark the herald angel sing finishes with these words. It says, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. At the heart of the Christmas story is the promise of new life for everybody who puts their trust in Jesus. At Jesus' life and death and resurrection, they actually set a pattern for us that even though we live and we die, we'll also be resurrected one day. We'll face death, but after that, we'll rise to a new life that will never again be tarnished by mourning or crying or pain or death. The sons and daughters of earth will be raised to life just like Jesus was, like a second birth, a new beginning, a second chance at life. Isn't that something to look forward to when the world feels wintry and when the circumstances of your life are clouding, are clouding your days. And that second birth, it's not just a future promise. It's not just a promise for the day that we die and we're resurrected. It's actually a promise for today. It's something we can experience in this lifetime. Today even, because Jesus came to bring light and to bring life. He came so that we can experience life to the full. That's what he said in John 10.10. 10. The, the enjoyment of a life lived knowing God's blessing and God's forgiveness and God's peace. And it's a life where we can bring God's forgiveness and God's blessing and God's peace to those around us, wherever we go. It's a life where we're born again, a life lived in the footsteps of Jesus. That's what Jesus wants us to enjoy today. Um, The Christmas story, following Jesus, is the secret to happiness and fulfillment. It's the secret to hope and joy. It's better than any Christmas gift you could receive. And it's the best Christmas gift you could give to anybody. There's a surprise that accompanies our second birth. It's something that happens when we become a Christian, when we choose to live our life for Jesus. At the moment when somebody turns to Jesus for the first time, did you know that heaven erupts? Heaven erupts with the sounds of angels celebrating the birth of a new child. 
a new child of God and a new family member for God. Um, in Luke 15, I've just put a little snippet on your handout. There's three stories. There's the story of a shepherd who loses one of his sheep, and when he finds it, he brings back and has great celebrations. And there's a lady who loses a coin. When she finds this expensive coin, she celebrates. And then there's a son who is lost to his father. And after much time away, he comes home, and the father greets him with open arms and welcomes him back into the family uh, that little passage there that says do you know that there is more celebration in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 who don't the angels celebrate every time somebody becomes a christian it's this wonderful celebration just like the day of jesus birth see the christmas story it starts with the birth of jesus but it ends with second birth for you and for me and a heavenly celebration like no uh, no other is that something to thank god for let me pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for the celebration that Christmas is. May it be a true celebration of joy for us. And may we know life and peace and restoration and healing this Christmas. And Father, help us to bring this message of hope wherever we go in the next few days and the next few months. And we pray this for Jesus' glory. Amen.